All right. Welcome back, guys, to the JPS Education Portal podcast. We're here with Mike Isretel and Mackenzie Baker. Welcome, guys. G'day, everyone. Thank you. Uh, Mackenzie, it's good to see you again. Good to see you, Dr. Mike. I've taken, uh, you've seen taken to teleporting based on how your Zoom background looks because when you move, parts of the screen move a little later. Oh. Oh. How's that tech for you? It's really good. <laughs> and guys, today we're going to be talking about New Year's fitness. So obviously the new year brings with it a lot of motivation for people and everyone makes fitness uh, the top of their priority list uh, in most cases. And Mike, why is that? Why is the new year such a often period where people are willing to put everything into their fitness and what comes with that? What are the issues with people doing that, if any? I say there are three reasons why people do it. One is that the new year offers a natural breaking point. Um, and so it can at least on paper offer an opportunity to start fresh. The second reason is the cultural accumulation of the New Year's resolution idea, which has been with us in Western culture for a long time. And so people just kind of know it, you know, so kind of expected to do it at that point. And I would say the third thing is the holidays generally have a lot of eating and drinking and debauchery associated with them. And since at least in the United States and gee, I think much of the world, by the time Thanksgiving in our country rolls around and then Christmas and the New Year's, isn't it like you've had like three meals that were a little off? It's like you've had like three months that were a little off. And so a lot of times that finality of New Year's and now you look at yourself and you sort of don't have any more partying to do, then you're like, all right, something's got to be done about this physical condition. So I'd say it's those three things combined. And then the second part of your question is like, is there anything wrong with it? Um, I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with it per se, but it leaves us wanting um, in at least two ways, two ways I'd gladly expound on for, for much longer at some point. Way number one is that the entire idea of doing something about your life at a predetermined date that's not in your internal locus of control is in some sense already starting off on the wrong foot. The, the cultural push of society is not going to carry you through your goals. When you're really serious about something, it's because it's you're starting it. You know, like if you're really wanting to go to the gym and you kept checking if the gyms are cheap enough for you to rationalize and they never are, you don't want to go to the gym. You're going to do what it takes when it happens. You're going to wait for a sale. So the same way, waiting for news resolution is already betrays a level of seriousness that you do not have. That if you did have, you would have just started some point that was logically better for you. And the other thing is, even though that's the case, many people are successful with New Year's resolutions, but the vast majority are not for very well-documented, predictable reasons that they could change to multiply their success. And we talk about this on the RP podcast. We'll have some RP YouTube videos coming out about it. But there are ways to do this thing better if you're going to do it. And most people intuitively or through experience do it to the completely wrong way in almost every regard for also reasons I can get into in a bit. So that's kind of my thing. Awesome. I think, yeah, there was a lot to take away from that. Mackenzie, is there anything you want to add to what Mike discussed there about why people initiate so much change at the beginning of the calendar year? And then some of those um, yeah, problems with that. Yeah, I definitely agree with a lot of the things Mike said. Uh, in particular, the idea that it is like a milestone. Um, I guess the holiday period also an opportunity to take a zoomed out bird's eye view of your life. You know, you probably have a bit of time off work or, you know, you just kind of think about the year, reflect, uh, think about where you're going with life. And it can be a time where people sort of uh, get an opportunity to change course, if you will. Um, I agree with that idea that if, if you're serious enough about a goal, you will do it right now. Like, you know, you won't wait. But at the same time, I think there are, you know, that idea of there's never a best time to start pursuing a, a nutrition-related goal. Um, I, I would agree with that, but there are better times than others. And, you know, the holiday period, sort of that Christmas or there around that, um, I view that as a time where social health becomes the priority. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because 
Um, social health is an important part of our overall health and well-being, and there is a time and place to have that as the focus. And you know that obviously limits the feasibility of successfully pursuing uh, a, a weight loss or a physical health-related goal. Or there's a, a larger cost to that in that you know you might not be getting the full social health benefit at a time when that's arguably what sh you should be be focusing on. So yeah, I think the argument can go both ways um, in terms of what people do wrong. I think the biggest thing is the expectations and where they fall on the spectrum. Um, I'm not sure if we want to talk about that right now and, and my thoughts there. Yeah, go for it, man. Um, yeah, I think it's important to, uh, a nutrition-related goal does not need to be sustainable in how you're going to pursue it. But I think you need to be confident, probably at least an 8 out of 10, that you can do it for a meaningful amount of time. Um, and adjusting your expectations to a point where you are not setting yourself up for indefinite failure. I think any journey is gonna have slip ups, but if you set the bar so high that you're constantly going to be, I guess we could say going off track, then I don't think that's gonna do particularly good things for self-efficacy. So that sense of confidence in your abilities to do the things and achieve the goals. And one thing that even I personally notice is that when I'm starting something new or going for a particular goal in life, if I'm feeling like I'm making progress, if I'm feeling like I'm competent at it, I'm more motivated to continue to persevere with it. Whereas if I'm constantly failing, constantly falling short of my expectations, you know, I just want to give up. I'm like, oh, I suck at this. What's the point? Um, you know, this isn't for me. So I think, you know, from the onset, setting your expectations, but also being flexible with those expectations and being okay with adjusting them over time, I think is a really important thing. Yeah, I agree. And I think at the start of the new year, a lot of people also have heightened motivation, obviously, because they're fresh. They've rested over the holiday period. As Mike said, uh, they've engaged in some gluttony and debauchery, and that's why they're extremely motivated to pursue their fitness goals. And that allows them, with also the fact that most people probably haven't gone back to full-time work um, or resumed their normal uh, lifestyle just yet. You know, kids go back to school here in Australia, for example, uh, in February, most things don't really go back to quote unquote normal in February. So people are uh, available to train more. They've got more time on their hands and they go all in and they just, um, you know, start programs or nutrition plans that are unrealistic. Um, you know, they, they might be training five, six days a week and it's not sustainable as Mackenzie said. And I think that's also a huge reason why a month later when, um, you know, life does go back to normal, it's a lot harder to sustain. So yeah, I think those are some reasons why some of those New Year's fitness goals um, and the way that they're approached um, could lead people astray. Mike, is there anything else you wanted to add there? I think that's a, a great start. Uh, Mackenzie, totally agree. And um, when life is architecting you into a better to check this box, better check that box, when everyone's around, family, friends, everyone's having a good time, not exactly time to get to the basement, start lifting the sand and water-filled weights. Uh, it's a bit strange. So when it's social health time, it's social health time. Um, that's a very good point. So I want to make sure I'm not um, trying to tell people there's no good reason to diet on January 1st. What I want to tell people is if you think there's some magic on January 1st that's going to save you, there isn't you still got to bring that same amount of interest in the process just because all the lemmings are falling off the cliff doesn't mean you're going to sidestep the shit so there's definitely something to be said for don't just think oh this is the time for change no 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 the time for change is any time you bring your weapons to it which can happen anytime probably shouldn't happen in, in opportune times like holidays but could have happened a lot of times through the year and i guess another way to put it is if you are considering changing your life for the better in your diet, don't think you have to make the change in that first week of January. You can take your time. You can start tomorrow or the day after. It doesn't much matter. What matters is that you start. And then two, something else Mackenzie said is that sort of beginning of that list of what mistakes people make. And I think the biggest mistake category is uh very similar to what Kenzie said is trying actually to do too much what i like to call napoleonic goals forget about france we're going to russia we're going to take the world and 
to folks that have for months, if not years, been languishing in inactivity and poor diet, I'm just curious to see how the psychology works when they try to almost make up for that languishing by setting a real crazy fitness goal. It's like someone, you know, you know, beats you up at school and someone else is like, do you want self-defense class? You're like, nah, but if it happens again, I'll just become the greatest black belt ever. And you're like, okay, very well, fine. That's an interesting ultimatum. So a lot of times people say, well, yeah, I'm not going to control my eating for October, November, December, but come January, I'm cutting out 1500 calories. I'm cutting out food groups. I'm waking up at 4 a.m. Oh, by the way, I'm starting a training program too. No more porn, no more doom scrolling, no more Netflix, new year, new me. And uh, like I was talking to Nick Shaw earlier about this on our uh, RP podcast, it's just a bandwidth problem. If you are setting yourself up to succeed, in what universe would you give yourself more to do rather than less? I know the technical psychological literature has a fall off point of if challenges are too easy, then people don't want to do them. But my God, so many people go so far in the other direction and they are doing the plan of essentially a pro bodybuilder. And sometimes they even say like, well, that's how these guys get in shape, but you're not these guys and you don't need to be doing that. And you're not qualified to do it. If I decide I'm going to recode all of Microsoft Windows by myself, you have to ask the question of, have I ever coded before? I'm like, not really, but I'll get into it. What are you talking about? Make a stupid video game first. And for folks trying to do a challenge, try to lose 10 pounds over the month of January, February, and March. That's it. Five kilos try to clean up your diet in two or three different ways, hit the gym twice a week. You start adding to that list, you, it doesn't matter how good it's, because it feels good, right? To make that list on on December 28th, you're like, new me, baby, here we go. New this, new that, new demeanor. I'm going to start talking to girls again, since that incident where I was greatly misunderstood, jailed summarily. Um, Mackenzie, it's not about you. I didn't mean to look at you when I said that. Um, so basically people just try to get into it at a hundred percent and your bandwidth may be 50 percent if you got in at 45 you have great results and more later if you're going to repeat the process but uh that's uh, that's to me a huge architecture behind the scenes which fronts a ton of other specific mistakes i could get into all of them under the category of you're trying to redo your whole life and that's not a good idea yeah so let's get into that so the issue is that people aren't really thinking too long term they set these very unrealistic goals and expectations but then what comes with that mike so yeah touch on that that'd be yes i just a couple of quick categories one people start with an overly aggressive fat loss goal like they're just like you know i weigh 200 pounds i'd like to weigh 150 i'll just weigh 150 at the end of this what four weeks of dieting oh sorry four months of dieting you're going to lose 50 pounds people have done it before but like some people turn pro in basketball after two high school seasons it just doesn't happen to almost you're not lebron um uh, so people need to choose fat goals that are significantly less aggressive and to put a to put a uh, to paint a picture there's so many individualities here but something like half a percent to three quarters of a percent of your body weight per week is a good idea and something that we recommended rp over the course of a 10 to 12 week diet if you just aim to lose five to eight percent of your total body weight that's so good and it's so meaningful and it's possible to maintain and keep the weight off and the things you're going to have to do to get there are sustainable doable attainable things it's not asking you to get it right on the first time five to eight percent you lose that you maintain for a few months you lose it again now you're a different person a lot of people get into that very aggressive fat loss goal because they just want the change now like i'm just going to do it all in one shot although look i'd love for that to be true we'd be selling the one shot program in rp right now it's just not a strategy for success awesome mac is there anything you want to and to Mike's points there. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that concept of the goal needs to be like the right amount of hard. If it's too easy, um, then people lose interest. And But if it's too hard, obviously there's consequences um, that we've, we've touched on. Um, I think another issue is that 
it's a bit of an or it's a bit of a balance between short-term sacrifice for long-term gain versus sustainability. Now I said before that it doesn't necessarily need to be sustainable forever, but I think it needs to be sustainable for a meaningful amount of time. And um, I don't think people consider the costs of doing business, so to speak, enough. So people hit January 1st and they're like, right, as you were saying, Mike, I'm going to go down to the basement and start freaking, you know, carrying the boats or some shit. And they're like, yeah, oh, something. I'm going to track my macros, macros every single day to the nearest gram. It's like, hang on a second. Like, you know, that might be what a pro bodybuilder does, but you are a family man or, or, or whatever you are you know, you have an important career that requires a lot of mental resources and, and what have you, and your time is limited to do things that maybe a pro bodybuilder would do. And they're just saying like, oh, this is what the, the optimal is. I'm going to pursue that, but not actually considering those costs and weighing up the pros and the cons, I think is a big one as well. Um, that decisional balance is the cost of pursuing this goal and the costs that are incurred with adhering to the required behaviors, which is a case of questioning the feasibility of both the goal as well as the expectations. So sometimes it's a case of the goal's fine, but the way you're going about it maybe isn't feasible. So we adjust the strategies. But in, in other cases there, it is literally like, bro, that goal is, you know, that is not for you. I hate to say it. Um, so yeah, I think it's important to run that decisional balance and say, you know, realistically, is tracking my macros and all these costs that I'm going to incur. I'm just using that as an example. Um, is that going to be worthwhile, the impact on say my uh, propensity to function at work or my, uh, the time with friends and family, which is something that I value so much. You know, I've got clients who are like, I've got a client who's a pastry chef, you know, getting this individual saying to this individual, Hey, track your macros diligently is going to have a huge impact on her career and her business. So I think it's important to consider these costs and craft your strategy and adjust your goal even to ensure that you are actually moving your life in a direction that you value rather than just being like tunnel vision on a particular, for example, weight loss goal. I I like what uh, you mentioned there, uh, Mike and Mackenzie. And I think one of the huge issues that we face uh, as fitness professionals is having people who aren't necessarily in the game of fitness who are new to it very much at the start of their journey, which is typically your uh, New Year's resolutioners, realize that a lot of the things that they're trying to uh, do in fitness is indeed a skill. And I think that's a huge issue. Mike, you made the example earlier on that, um, you know, if you wanted to go learn code, well, you, you wouldn't be able to just get in there and do it, right? You'd have to learn a bunch of things before you could get to the point where you could do what, say, a professional coder would do, right? And if we use the example of a professional bodybuilder, because everyone eats and everyone can get a gym membership, people don't actually view or perceive uh, fitness, training, nutrition necessarily as a skill. And I think that's why uh, they run into a lot of the issues they do with uh, New Year's resolutions is um, they just go all in and think they can, uh, do those quite uh, complicated, uh, you know, tasks and make all those behavioral modifications, which isn't easy. And that's where that task complexity and focusing on, um, you know, achieving small milestones and wins over time to make those behavior changes is a, a huge part of the um, resolution to year's resolution issues, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You guys want to add to that? I think that corresponds well with another point I had, which is maybe don't try changing all of your eating habits at once because people can get caught up in the idea of improvement, the idea that habits need to change, which okay, that makes sense. And they end up trying to change their habits but instead of changing a few big ones, for example, I'm going to eat protein at every meal. I'm going to eat veggies most of the time. I'm going to only eat out twice a week. They start to layer in, like Mackenzie said, macros, tracking, meal timing. And you can change your habits. But the quintessential thing about habit change that every book about habits has is the center forefront of its discussion is that changing habits is a one does not simply kind of task. It is hard to do. Quitting smoking, it's a habit, very hard to do. 
Stop doom scrolling. Very hard to do. Habits are a big deal. And I think people overly misty-eyed and empowered by New Year's resolution thematics tend to do that full fools rush in with a wise fear to tread kind of thing and treat the New Year's resolution grocery store of healthy foods and amazing workouts and life changes as an all you can buy and stuff in your cart shopping spree. Like January 1st, time to change, right? Might as well change everything. Let's get my you know, Netflix under control, let's get wake up early, let's do workouts, let's do all this crazy dieting. And I think people just get unmoored from the fact that bandwidth is a thing. This is all hard stuff. It's doubly hard because it's expected to sink in as habit because everyone knows if it doesn't become habit, it is unsustainably difficult. You can't do fitness your whole life without an ingraining as habit. And if you try to ingrain eight habits in one six week period, you're gonna have a hard time. And there's a worse thing about this, that some people seem to assume that it works like it does in the grocery store. If you have $100, you got $120 worth of stuff in your cart, the cashier will be like, well, just put a few things away and you can keep the rest. So wait, you know, if all these habits don't take, at least most of them will, I might not be able to get down to the gram at every meal, but I'll have five meals a day because I'll have that habit. That's not how it works. If you overload your, your cognitive bandwidth, you may come out of it with the jettisoning yourself, like opening the door on an airliner at 40,000 feet and just jumping out version of the diet. Be like, ah, cash me out, I'm out. And on your way down to your diet doom, realizing like, fuck all that. You don't want any of this shit. It's another failure. And I was mentioning this on our RP podcast a little bit ago. There are... Mackenzie can probably use is really good at this kind of stuff. He'll probably speak to this more. Uh, Mackenzie, sorry if I'm underhand pitching you something that's that you're like, I don't want to talk about slash don't fucking know. Shut up, Mike. But there are people for whom their lived experience has been failing every single fitness intervention they have tried since they were 21 and they're 42. Do you want to put another failure in front of them? How does that make them feel? They become internally disempowered to even thinking they can change. And putting more things on their deck for them to do is going to make that worse. It's going to make it really likely they don't succeed at any part of the fitness challenge because it's all too much. They quit all of it and then they learn a little bit more about themselves. And what they learn is I'm a quitter and fitness isn't for me. And they're kind of not wrong in a sense. So then they need to hire a coach like McKenzie, who's gonna psychoanalyze the shit out of them for months to try to get them to finally put the pieces together for some decent habits that work one step at a time, one baby step, and then more, and then more, and then more if needed. And that this overloading thing is a big problem for that reason that it's not just, oh, well, I'll succeed with some stuff and not with other stuff. No, no. You're going to fail with all of it nine times out of 10 because you choose to do too much. Over to you, Max. Yeah, I think that was um, perfect. I definitely agree with the idea of people uh, embodying this identity as a failure, especially in their fitness journey. If they've, say, for example, tried to lose weight since they were 21 and now they're, they're 42. And for this reason, I think being like a tough love coach. I don't think that being a tough love coach has no place in this world. Uh, sorry. I think it does have a place in this world in some context, but I think that there are, I think in a lot of cases, it is only going to worsen that identity that someone might have that they are a failure. And then, like I was saying before, um, they're almost going to see that's the, then we bring in the self-sabotage thing, because if someone's pursuing a nutrition goal, and they expect to fail, they're going to find an avenue to call it quits. They're gonna look for that because they're like, I'm gonna fail anyway. So I might as well just like throw in the towel once I encounter that first speed bump because I'm gonna fail anyway. So what's the point in me trying really hard? Yeah. Continue. There's no need to, to drag this along. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just quit now. Like let's just let's just call it quits now. So I think that's a really important, like it's it's frustrating as a coach to do it because you know, as you know, if you're a nutrition professional, you're into training, like you live and breathe it, you know, doing something like training every day might be easy for you. And it's, it's so easy to get frustrated with a client being like, why can't you do this? Why can't you, you know, eat protein at breakfast? Like it's so easy, but you know, I don't think 
that attitude towards them is really going to help them at the end of the day, because at the end of the day, your role as a coach is to meet them where they're at and help them move forwards from their starting point. They're not where you are right now. So I think it's important to remember that so you can actually uh, help them move forwards. Yes. And you can't, because you are a fitness professional and they're just a regular person, you don't have the ability to deploy the arsenal that they do. Imagine going to like a paintball ranch or something and some guy who's a former like spec ops dude kind of shows you the ropes. He's like, you're going to fire your main weapon. You run out of that. You go to your sidearm, you stab, throw the grenade and you stab the guy with the fucking knife that looks like blood. And you're like, what about your brother? I can't do the first, how the fuck do I turn on my gun? Is it, where's the trigger right here? I don't know anything. That whole shit was lost on me. So when we get in and we say, we expect people to get up to a certain standard. You're like, Hey, you hired me. I'm a tough love coach. Better get in shape. Do what I say. There is an aura of that that's awesome because it tells that person you're a serious person and now you're my client. You're on a winning team. You're going to do what it takes. Love it, love it, love it. But is it possible? Is it reasonable? Is it likely for them to do what it takes? Imagine a guy who is the wrestling coach for Team USA going and doing a workshop for six-year-olds. Is he going to have them do the same stuff? And when they fail, he's like, guess you're not Team USA material. Like, no shit, they're six. He would never do that. He would scale down the intervention and the expectations to their abilities. And if I know for a fact you're my new client, you have essentially never been good with dieting. You never got it once correctly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't phrase it like that to them, right? But in my head, I'm like, okay, this is, clearly you haven't been successful. I'm going to assume you need to start from the lowest common denominator basic shit ever, which means we're going to teach you about what healthy food is. And then you're going to go show me that you know it by picking healthy food and sending me a picture on your phone of what that looks like. And over the next six six weeks, I'm just going to point to parts on your plate that said, nope, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And you're going to learn and you're going to understand within several weeks easily what healthy food is. It's super easy to find, super easy to practice. Everyone knows it when they see it. No one's going to Macca's and going, is this healthy? Get out of my, get out of my Now, when you know what healthy food is, already your client lost five kilos. Why is it just healthy food helps them lose? Because they couldn't even pull that off before. Because if they could pull it off, you could be like, all right, so you know how to eat healthy? They'd be like, yes, absolutely. And they list, you know, veggies, fruits, whole grains, blah, blah, blah. Well, shit, let's go to meal timing and macros. Then they're ready for that. But before they're ready for that, you got to start at the basics and only assume that they can just do that for a little bit. Uh, I have this kind of like little phrase that works better in Russian than English, but it's like, if you show me that you can do one thing really competently and well, I'm ready to thread you in for that next thing. But until you can show me that you can competently pull off the simple stuff, why the hell would I give you the complicated stuff? It's pedagogically wrong. It's wrong in every possible instant. But who doesn't know that? New Year's resolutioners that want the real experience. Um, I don't know if you guys have this in Australia, but in the US we have like boot camps where like someone yells at you to do push-ups and pull-ups outside of a McDonald's. That's just a thing that happens. And and you see almost everyone in these boot camps is completely out of shape. Don't worry, most of them will quit or will be right back out of shape really soon to do the next season's boot camp. It feels nice to be thrown into the Navy SEAL style atmosphere to be given the hard stuff. But guess what? And this is mildly offensive, all for comedy. Motherfucker, the hard stuff to you is picking out what healthy food is. And they'd be like, that's not hard. Really? Show me that you can do it. Nope, that's a Twinkie on your plate. Wrong again. So we got to understand fitness as a scaled concept. New Year's resolutioners are often folks at the very bottom of that scale. And there's nothing wrong with being at the bottom. I'm at the bottom of every other fucking scale except fitness. But like, I don't go to the gun ranch and start picking out guns to shoot. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Can you please tell me what to do? And like, just do this and do this just once. That's all I'm doing. I'm listening to the guy because I have no idea what's going on. I don't want to fail. Yeah, I love it. I think scaling fitness down and realizing that there are some very basic things we need to learn to do is uh, critical. And I love all the analogies, Mike. Very well done. (laughs) As you, Mac. Yeah, I I absolutely loved that, Mike. Um, I think this is where the the golden behavior criteria or even the COM-V model can be like a good uh, checklist. So is it worth it? Um, are they able to do it? Do they want to do it? I think it's a big one as well, like the wanting. So, and that also for me presents a risk behind, like definitely agree, you know, we need to go for the low hanging fruit. And if, you know, they've never done this before, like you're not going to take them to the shooting range and just 
sort of be like off you go you know you kind of you're john wick now go go (laughs) (laughs) yeah you need to start with the basics um but at the same time i think there is also a factor of buy-in that needs to be considered and i think a lot of people will come to a coach or come you know i have experienced clients who, who come to me and they almost know what they want to do and they know their strategy and they're almost wanting me to validate them or at least guide them through what they're like they're coaching themselves i'm just guiding them through and i think you can ask things like socratic questions to help them to poke holes in their strategies and maybe they might be open to hearing a different way um but i think there are also instances where they cannot be told and if you don't give them what they want they're just going to go down to macro coach steve at the local anytime fitness who's going to put them on like ridiculous diet you know three thousand you know, whatever. Um, and I think in those instances, it's a case of sometimes saying, okay, you want to do that. That's okay. I will support you in what you want to do. And your role is to simply keep them safe and be that sounding board, I suppose. And when they inevitably fail, uh, come, you know, February run, they haven't been able to stay consistent. Then you ask the question, okay, so this is how you wanted to do it. Um, you've gone and done it. How did that go for you? And they're like, ah, you know, I couldn't really do it for more than two weeks. Um, and then at that point, because you've, you know, you've let them do what they want to do, they're going to feel heard and understood. So they're probably going to even have a little bit more buy-in to being like, Hey, you know, I've tried what I want to do, what I want to do. Hasn't worked out too well. Maybe I should start sort of having some open discussions with my coach to come up with alternative options. Um, so I think that's another, yeah, the wanting side of the goal and behavior criteria, I think is an important thing to consider. It's yeah. a very rich, rich, um, sort of basis for discussion. Just uh, real quick, uh, Jacob, is it okay if I, uh, I'll pine really quick. So, um, I got, I have mixed feelings about that, Mac, because on the one hand, it's totally true. People come at you often with ideas, very specific ideas or very general, but nonetheless, very persnickety ideas about what it is they want to see happen. I've had clients come to you before say, I respond best to a low carb plan. Like, mm, interesting. You look at a current picture of them, you're like, curious how you arrived at that. Uh, but very well. So, uh, you know, they'll kind of tell you what to do. In, in my view, there's kind of three options as a coach you can take. One is you're a mega well-known coach and you just incredibly politely, not remotely in this way, tell them, you pay me because I know things, not because you know things. We do it my way or you can fuck off and do it any way you want. That's clearly an effective see you later, right? Like if I if I come in and like, if I'm, you know, hire Hani Ramba to prep me for the Olympia, I'm not going to be like, hey, do this instead. He'd be like, how many Olympia champions have you made? I'd be like, zero. He's like, shut the fuck up. I'm like, right, exactly. So there's the one side. And there's total validity to that. It also allows you to retain your brand. It also allows you as a coach to retain your intellectual independence and your ability to guarantee customers that you do the right thing. Like if I go to the Ford Motor Company and I buy a car and I'm like, can you guys re-rig the transmission like this for me? They can't say yes because it's going to get you in trouble (laughs) and they're not going to have one of their cars blowing up on you and you blaming them. So when you're a coach, there's a wiggle room you can have with your client to how much you do for them that they want. And that wiggle room has a stopping point of I'm no longer rendering services. This isn't me. I can't take credit even for helping you. This is some you shit. So on the one hand, you could just say, nah, fuck that to all of it. On the other hand, you need money. You're not a big time coach. You're an up and comer. You're going to work with everyone, which is great because you also get an insane on the ground education working with everyone. You will see all the good, all the bad. You're going to learn way more working with everyone than you ever will as a famous coach working with curated list of people that always say yes and always get the job done. Then absolutely, Mac, you got to find some kind of start them off on their foot, maybe in the middle of that discussion, say, well, you know, another good idea that I think seemed to work from my perspective is X, Y, Z. What do you think about that? They may be like, let's integrate that. They may be like, nah, I know what I'm doing. Or they might be like, well, actually, yeah, fuck yeah, let's just do your shit wholesale. So there's always time for a discussion, interjection, try to get them to modify their approach. But to the extent that they do, you don't care because you need the money. And the other way to think about that is you, um, think they're better off with you on the margins than without you altogether. To your point about they go to macros coach Steve and get fucked anyway, you might be able to help them not get fucked as hard. But that's the third option. So the first option is you're too good for the shit. You just tell them it's my way, the highway, which can be done on any level. The other one is you take everyone and you just work with them with whatever mishmash of bullshit comes out of there, it's a collaborative t- effort, and at least you helped them somewhat. That third option is you may have the throughput 
in coaching to just tell them to fuck off. But you honestly believe as a good human being, they're better with you, even if they accept only some of your advice than without you. That third one requires a real Zen state of mind. Um, and sometimes it's worth it. But I will say sometimes what is also worth it is giving your people not a tough guy talk at the beginning, but a real talk about, listen, um, you're coming to me for help. Let me show you what I got in the arsenal. Why don't you think about doing some of this stuff? Because intellectual, anyone remotely intelligent understands people have areas of expertise. I don't go to my doctor and be like, I don't think you read the scan right. I don't know how to fucking read a scan. I know that. I'm going to the doctor to ask them questions. I've had doctors ask me before, like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, what the hell am I paying you for? I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So people have an intuitive understanding that when they come to an expert that can help them, that person knows things. And sometimes that just needs to be reminded to them so that they maybe take more of your advice than not. But if you're prepared to take, have your advice taken on the margins, taken partially, and partially they do their own thing, that's totally cool. It's going to develop a huge ability for you to parse out what works and what doesn't. It's going to develop an incredible patience because they're going to do their own stuff and you're going to watch them fall off the cart and break their face over and over. And you're going to have to at some point be like, low carbs still, huh? And they're going to be like, yep, I love it. Keto works great. Like you failed keto five times this week. Like, yeah, but when I'm doing it, it's great. You're like, That's the whole point. You can't do it. Uh, and so it, it can be a trial by fire for sure. But I just wanted to let folks know there's at least three distinct options. You can just no holds barred, no judgment, do whatever they want. Be their person that guides them essentially. Then there's the middle ground of like, yeah, you give help when you help and interject some truths when otherwise. And then there's always that ability to just be like, look, like, not in a rude way, but be like, hey, like, you know, the way we do coaching here at MikeIsRatelCoaching.xxx is that, uh, Jake, I see, I see you guys per both perked up. Interesting. You've been to that domain before? I'm not going to ask any more questions. Um, but uh, basically, this is where the cookies are made, so to speak, and I'm the chef. Like you don't go to a Japanese like in Michelin star omakase restaurant and start poking at the guy. Can you, can you, can you cut that piece of fish? Stop, stop. You're not allowed to do that. He's the person that cuts the fish. That's why you're here. He's not over at your place. So I think clients a lot of times can very much understand that. Be very quickly allowed to believe. And if they can't, and you don't want to jive for them, you can just not coach them. A lot of brilliant points, uh, Mac. Yeah, amazing points. And I think kind of what you were saying there, Dr. Mark, is where I feel there is room for the tough love or even just like real talk style real talk. of coaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it tough love. Just like having a, that that honest conversation to start. Like, hey, I'm the expert of nutrition or training if that's what you do. Um, but hey, remembering that whilst that is the case, the client is the expert of their life. Um, and I think it's certainly a trap that I've fallen into in phases before, actually both, uh, but probably more recently that, that one where I'm kind of more letting the client lead. And I definitely think you want to find that sweet balance between you don't want to be a follower. Um, you don't want to be, let the client lead. You want to sort of be in the middle and be more of a, a guide. Um, but I think there are also situations such as higher level athletes um, where they're going to come to you and say, Hey, you know, I'm wanting to win the national champs for mountain biking. Uh, I need to lose five kilos to be in race ready weight. And it's like, Hey, really high level athlete. Um, then it's sort of that conversation of I'm the expert of nutrition. Like, this is how it's going to go. If you don't want to do it, then unfortunately, uh, I think it would be best if you find someone else to, to, to work with you. So yeah, I definitely agree with all those points. I have a complexity for that really quick. If it's the mountain biking pro, not only will that person almost certainly take your advice at face value exactly for what it is, because he knows why he's paying you, but it's also true to say that there may be more of a room for collaboration with a person like that. They know their intensities real well. They know how food makes them feel really well down to the hour before and after the ride. They know which foods jive with them and you are an expert in demolition and the delta force demo guy didn't show up or something he got sick he broke his leg okay do you want to come with us you don't have to teach these guys about demolition you're not in charge they're in charge 
But when a door needs to get blown, you blow the door. That's your job. That's what you're the best in the world at. You do that. But you don't have to guide the rest of the guys because they're like, dude, we know what we're doing. Mountain bike guy needs your help in a nutritional ultra structure that's scientifically based. And then on favorite food, on timings, you're going to go to him and be like, listen, what do you like in the morning? Let me know. I don't want to give you some shit before nationals that has you shitting your way down the fucking race. Well, it might actually add propulsive force. We'll put that on the back burner. It just scoots out of your shorts. Like it didn't even add any propulsion. I'm slipping on my pedals. In any case, so that's the one thing. On the other hand, the way I see a lot of times working with um, called gen pop or whatever, folks that have never been successful at dieting before and maybe have never even had a coach. I look at them much more like if you're the super sniper expert Delta Force guy, they're a person that just had some money that got caught at the wrong embassy blockade in a foreign country and you land and you get meet with them at a mall and they're like, get me the fuck out of this country, right? You're the spec ops guy. They're not going to be like, let's go this way. You're going to be like, what what the fuck did you call me? You, it, it, almost every normal person in that regard who knows they don't know anything about exfilling themselves at a dangerous territory are just going to look at that person right away and go, what the fuck do we do? Have you guys ever seen um, the 13, 13 Hours or something like that? The Benghazi raid movie? There was a, there was like clash between the, the CIA people and the, the mercs and then as soon as bullets started flying, all the CAA people were like, what do we do? And they're like, do this, do this, that. They just didn't argue anymore because they're like, this is your time now. So on the one hand, I 100% feel that folks come to diet coaching and training coaching who don't know much, who have these real serious opinions about how to go. But on the other hand, from a real talk perspective, they're the ones that probably should have the fewest opinions. Like, you don't know things. Like, if, I, if I'm croak, if, if we train uh, pro bodybuilders on RP YouTube, the first thing is almost never on camera. We talk to them about injuries and how they feel, how heavy are they willing to go, which exercises do they like? We're not going to throw some fucking wrench in their shit. Yeah, I'm all Dr. Mike and shit, but they know their bodies really well. Now, if you come train with me on the first day and you never lifted weights, I'm going to ask you, is your doctor, doctor cleared you for training? Yes. Do you have any prior injuries? No. It's all me now, baby. Look, I don't like to do lunges. Shut the fuck up. You don't know what you like and don't like. Now, I'm kidding. I would never say that, right? But in the back of the head, it's kind of like, I, I yes, the client is fundamentally in charge. Why? Because they pay you money. The customer is always right. It is always and everywhere client-centered coaching. It can't be anything else. They're the person with the money that's doing the thing. But asking the clients to take control and understand they are will be the always satisfied customer is a bit different in many cases than being like, what do you want to do? No, 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 no. You tell me that. And if they're the kind of customer that wants to tell you what to do, you may need to re-architect that framing for them gently, gingerly, on the margins where you're mostly correct, you mostly do their stuff, but you're going to want to push your agenda a little bit because them just hiring you to do the same thing that they're doing is the guy who got himself into a military zone, needs a Navy SEAL to get him out and goes, okay, we're going to go this way. What? <laughs> Pause. I'm going to get killed if I listen to your dumb ass. I'm not doing this. And the analogy for that on the coaching side is, I'm going to have another failed client under my belt. And then people are going to ask me like, Hey, I saw you did keto with John. Does keto work? I'm like, no, it doesn't fucking work. So why'd you do it with John? Cause John made, just John made me. Does that even sound right? Do you guys know what I'm saying? I'm obviously being emotional for entertainment purposes, but like, Mac, do you get where I'm going with that? Cause there's a, a shitload of validity for clients in charge, but at the same time, it's like any reasonable client should know they should not be in charge. Hmm. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I think it's an extremely pragmatic perspective. Um, but that idea of clients should know that they know nothing and they shouldn't have any opinions. It's like, eh, do lunges, shut the fuck up. Um, sure. <laughs> they might not know that, that they might not have an opinion. They yeah. might need to be educated into their falsity of their yeah. opinion at some level. Yeah. I guess like in some ways, I think uh, like a newbie to nutrition knows that they know nothing. But I think almost equally as often, at least in my experience, they think they know everything. And that whole idea of like, they're just going to keep doing what they're already doing. I think trying to move them away from that can somewhat be a bit of a challenge in my experience in some instances. So I think it is, it's both. It's like people are like, I, I'm a complete novice and I'm okay with that. I'm hiring you as the expert. But then at the other end of the spectrum, you get like, I'm still a novice, but I have these really strong opinions and that can be very frustrating, but you know, you've got to remain calm. <laughs> yeah. Remain calm. And to some extent, let them take control, but also to some extent, at least consider 
weaving your thread of doubt <laughs> not doubt yeah. literally but like hey like i can help you i know some things uh you would think that they would want to know that um and many people do i think also a lot of people um because it's their decision to lose the weight they also want to feel like they have a plan when they come to a coach and mac you said earlier something like, like they need some sense of validation like you're in charge you're in control i believe that you're serious about this but at the same time, let's look at your plan and see where it can improve things. And sometimes people take to that and sometimes they don't. And to be completely honest, people that have their predefined idea of what they want to do and have been multiply unsuccessful at it. As humans, I take everyone seriously. As caricatures, I do not take those people seriously. I, I will interact with you and will try to convince you of the alternative. And if you're real persnickety, me personally, I'm going to work with somebody else. I don't need that shit in my life. If you have a lot of bandwidth, if you have a lot of time, if you need to work with people like that for financial reasons, it's going to be an interesting time. Yeah, I think it certainly makes coaching more interesting and, and challenging. Um, and I've personally found that, yeah, okay, there's obviously a time and place where you're telling a client, like, this is how we're going to do it, my way or the highway. But I think um, if someone has strong opinions, but they still want to feel validated that they are the boss, I think asking questions and getting them to answer those questions. Like I was saying before, okay, John, like you've done keto in 2024 and it's now February and, you know, nothing's really happened. It's like, how did that go for you? You know, getting them to ask, asking them those challenging questions that then they have to go, oh shit, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I think uh, generally speaking, I found that that can be a little bit, I'm going to say more effective, but I'm also going to say less confrontational. Um, because I think there are also in a lot of cases, but not all cases, some issues with being very, uh, how could I say abrasive, um, with clients. Mac, I gotta ask you one thing. What do you think the probabilities of success are at face value? If we have two people coming to us for coaching, one person is a person that just says, Hey, look, tell me what to do. I just don't know. I need your help. And the other person is like, trust me, like, I know what I'm doing. I just need some support. Knowing nothing about them other than that, would you say one has a, your guess, higher probability of success on a diet than the other? Absolutely. Definitely. Uh, it would be the person who, uh, the former mentioned individual. Um, but I probably wouldn't go about recommending things uh, until I knew more about that person. No, no, for sure. Of course. Yeah. Intake and all that stuff. I guess what I'm saying is there's a darker view to this that I sometimes hold, uh, of, of course, not so, so serious about this, but there is a thread where the people that have failed almost every diet who are in objectively terrible shape reference to their, what they used to be and to what they want to be. And at the same time have so much control issue, put it that way that they need to be the architect and owner of their diet and need you simply as an approval person. Let's say the deck is so stacked against them in terms of success with or without you. Any coaches listening to this, I guess coaches listen to this, try your fucking best with these people. Give them your karmic yeah. best, your love, your affection, your uh, telling them they're right, even though you know mostly they're not, but there's a sliver of truth. That's all amazing stuff. But if you fail with them, don't you dare get upset about it. These people came out of the fucking box failing. And it is by no means clear anybody can help someone whose first thing they say at a diet consult is, I know what works for my body. The reason I asked you the statistics there and you said mostly the other, my experience is identical. Of the people that come to you and go, I know what I need. I have found most of those to be like almost clinically disagreeable and intractably like you just can't do anything with them because you say hey, what about this they're like no 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 trust me and then when they fuck up their inevitable diet that was total shit they have excuses they have reasons they blame you um this is just not folks that get along a lot of the times some of the times that's absolutely not the case people come around for sure but it's just one of these things if i was a coach if i had known earlier in my career like look some people you're gonna try to help man they're not gonna be into that shit <laughs> so some people just aren't they're not teammates um, yeah maybe it's beneficial for some folks here and there I definitely agree. Like hundred um, percent. There's obviously that point where, Hey, this isn't working. Like you should go find someone else. But like for me, if I, if I'm starting with a client who is sort of that 
um, that persona of really being set on their ways and what we've discussed here. Um, I guess I'll still give it a crack, you know, and I definitely agree it's going to be an uphill battle. I think for me personally, one of the most rewarding things as a coach is actually getting some buy-in with, with an individual who starts off with that. Um, and I think in some cases they start off like that, but they're actually not. And I've kind of learned to try and never assume and yeah, still give it a crack, give it a red hot go. Um, but yeah, there is definitely that point where, Hey, this isn't working. And there is definitely that starting mindset for me that is like, Hmm, either this is going to be a miracle, uh, or it's just going to be an uphill battle that doesn't work. Yeah, I guess it's a timing issue of when you decide which one it's probably going to be <laughs> to pull the plug or not. Uh, uh, Jacob, what do you what do you think about all this? I'm sure you've had the, the gamut of these clients. Yes, I couldn't agree more. I think you always want a client who's open and you know willing to take on your advice. Um, but I've also found that the people who are like super agreeable are usually not overly, uh, you know, conscientious. And that's why they're in that place, you know, in the first place, right? They agree to all kinds of stuff. <laughs> they agree to everything. <laughs> very hard time saying no, that's the issue, right? So um, yeah, to be very valid. in an ideal uh, world, we'd have people who are super conscientious, um, you know, highly neurotic, but also super agreeable. But that sort of trio of personality traits, uh, you know, is, is like finding a unicorn. Um, so I think, yeah, it's always hard, but in most cases, yeah, you just have to try your best with whatever you've got and try to figure it out, like identifying, is this person willing to um, listen and take my advice um, is something that you won't know until you've you've had a crack. And if you just sort of throw in the towel at the first time that they don't want to listen and do their own thing, um, well, yeah, you can't really help anyone at that point. But yes, yeah. very, very difficult situation for, for a lot of coaches out there. I think I, this I think relates this whole talk. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, Mike. I was just going to say quickly, I think that's a, a really excellent point, Jacob. And because there's such a, they're, they're always saying yes. Yeah. Um, they're kind of digging their own grave and creating a scenario that's ultimately going to leave them unhappy in some instances um, because they're like, oh, you know, person with a uh, hectic career and all these other values, I want you to go and track your macros diligently and train six days a week for two hours. And we're also going to do a bodybuilding show in 12 weeks. And it's just like, you know, they're, you they're like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. They're always like, yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. And there's like huge trade-offs with that, but because they're such a yes person, they want to, you know, prove to you and them themselves that they're that sort of hardcore, I'll do whatever it takes thing. Yeah. They're kind of like digging their own grave in, in a sense. Yeah. I think this has a lot of relation actually to the New Year's resolution thing, because as a coach, as a trainer, you're going to get more of these very colorful types of folks during the New Year's resolution season that you may normally not get. You get people coming to you in New Year's resolution season as a trainer and diet coach that you're like, whoa. Like sometimes people dust off the, the cobwebs in this 15 years since their last attempt at this and they're in, you know? And uh, it's just good to understand that there are some complexities with coaching and people might have their own ideas about what they want and kind of how to manage that whole thing. This New Year's resolution brings in tons of different kinds of people. Yeah, that's actually I, something I probably haven't thought about for a long time. But I tell you what, the inquiries and consultations, the type of people that I would get, you know, between say March and like August, September, completely different to the people that uh, come down to JPS at the start of a new year. Like that is such a important observation uh, for coaches out there to to try and make. It's like the the people who come to me mid year and like they want to start training and whatnot. They'll probably still be training with me or on their own that same time next year. No doubt in my mind whatsoever. Like there's so, or they've been training for years in general. Uh, whereas the people who are coming to me this start of the year, as Mike said, they probably haven't done anything for 15 years. They're just getting back into it. And chances are they're gonna stop in a couple of months and they'll be going to the next coach at the start of the following new year. You know what I mean? So that's how you have to see that situation. And obviously that sets the tone with how you approach it and what your goals as a coach should be is to hopefully have this person maybe keep on training, you know, with you or at least stick to their fitness goals for six months, you know, and that'd be a really good achievement for a lot of those people. Yeah, for sure. I, right. yeah, I hear a lot of coaches say like, you got to be coachable. You got to be coachable. Um, and yeah, 
even based on this discussion, obviously there is a lot of importance to that. Um, someone needs to be coachable, but if everyone was coachable personally, I don't know about you guys, but personally, I'd probably get a little bit bored. Like if my job was constantly just you, every client is a hundred percent adherent. They do exactly what I say. And all I'm really doing is things like adjusting their macros once a week. I don't know about you, but I'm going to get, yeah, I'm going to get pretty bored and probably want to do something else like pretty quick. Yeah. That's a great point. In the next five to 15, five to 20 years, we're going to see super intelligent AI take over many of the things humans used to do. But because it's unlikely that they'll make AI agentic enough to tell you you're an idiot and to stop eating brownies, it's going to be almost all, if not all, positive stuff. It is unlikely that an AI will be able to tell difficult clients how to do things properly. That will very likely, in my opinion, continue to fall on a human coach. The thing about AI coaching, like we have the hypertrophy app, diet coach app, all the users that succeed with that, they are very conscientious people that are the perfect clients and they get in shape. We don't need trainers for those people anymore. We already have machines that do it. And in 10 years, we'll have magic super machines that'll do it. But that's going to mean most of us get into great shape. Who's left over? It is the difficult clients that are left over physically, definitely, and psychologically. And it's up to talented coaches, coaches, talented coaches like Mac that, because Mac, what you just said, I couldn't disagree with more. I would fucking run, 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 run from disagreeable clients that are have a poor adherence because I'm not hard like that and I'm not cut out for the shit. We need more coaches like you that run towards the challenging, that run towards the clients that are really hard, annoying clients because that the market for that that's going nowhere if you can crack that problem well like we all just genetically engineered to be perfect and fit and then it's paradise who gives a shit if we have fucking jobs as trainers and do something else do nothing else just use my fifth body to well you know dot 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 triple x um it's the tough people the people that are tough to coach um th there's oftentimes a situation that i've i've run into managing coaches uh, a long, long time ago, in which people complain, not as a joke, because look, joke complaining is fucking great. It's a great part of corporate culture. But people complain about trouble clients, but they're actually complaining. You know, it's like not a joke anymore, and they're actually bitching. And I have like a policy there, not a work policy, just a with friends thing, where it's like, wait, 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 hold on a sec. You're complaining that people aren't flawless machines. Like, yes, like, okay, what kind of job would you have if they were? The answer is, motherfucker, you wouldn't have a job because the RP Diet Coach does everything you do except for a dollar a day. And what the fuck do you make? A little more than that? Right. So you have to understand that the reason there is a job for you and the reason you can ascend to being the best coach that's ever coached is to deal with the difficult stuff. I actually had an experience once where I um, asked a, a, uh, an athlete that I was coaching to help me coach uh, in a certain capacity. She was so gifted at lifting. She learned the stiff-legged deadlift in one repetition. I did it once right in front of her. She mocked it. It was completely, it was exactly, it was better than mine. And so when she got to coaching herself, she was coaching lower level folks that were not as good at sports. She struggled for a while because she didn't just get, how do you guys just not get how to move like this? They just weren't gifted like her. If you only deal with flawless clients that always execute the plan, your life is great. But do you really know how to coach? You know how to write macros down. Again, the RP Die Coach app does data science on it. It knows how to do that better than you ever will. You can't, I can't beat the app. I tried beating the app on numbers. I lost to it the first time we ran it. I was like, what the fuck? I guess it's better than a human. I can't talk to people. I can talk to people like the app can't. And I'll forever be able to do that because the app won't be allowed to tell you you're a piece of shit and you need to fucking harden up and eat these goddamn protein bars. Shut up. Or spend hours with you telling you how great you are digging you under from under the mud of your lack of self-confidence. That real difficult coaching. Mac, I'm glad there's people like you around to do that shit. Thank fucking God. And for anyone who looks, who wants to continue to be employed in coaching for a long time, you got to choose the hard stuff. It's, it's kind of like last stupid analogy, I swear to God, it's kind of like someone who's like a, a professional mercenary who loves getting it on, loves gunfights. And he's going to be like, man, I'm sick and tired of all this war. That's your job. 
like I thought you said you like this. Like well, if, if there's no more war, you have to go be a police officer or something. You can't do this anymore. So sometimes people get really bitchy about their clients. And man, these fucking clients. Like if they were all perfect, RP would be a billion dollar company. You wouldn't have any money. Like I'm, I'm down for that. My Butler coaches are ready to coach away, but they can't coach real struggling, flawed humans. And if you get good at that, first of all, coaching everyone else is like breathing air. And second of all, you can depend on having difficult clients. If you have a situation where you think, oh my God, I hope I never have a client as bad as Barbara ever again, watch this. Next week, you'll get the worst client of your life. You got to get good at the stuff, which means coaching very, very flawed people that are very difficult. I love it. I think uh, there's a lot of brilliant points uh, that we can end on there. Mac, is there any final words that you want to add to that? Yeah, I just that I really appreciate that, Dr. Mike, and and you as well, Jacob. Really appreciate uh, all of the words there. And uh, yeah, I think with technology improving, you know, things like innovations like the RP app, for example, with all the AI and and everything, I think coaching the landscape of it's already changed, and I think it's only going to change more. And um, essentially, doing what an app can do now is like it's got a it's got a time limit on. It's going to have a use by date very soon. Yeah. Yes. You got to offer the personal, the human, the interactive and dealing with people as they are, not as you wish them to be. I wish all my clients were perfect too. It's not, that's not the job. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you very much. Mackenzie, thank you guys. We'll see you next month in the podcast and until then, happy new year. Thank you guys. Bye.